Thank you, Brother Allen, and welcome to all of you here and those uh, watching online. So we have a full packed agenda, which uh, includes not only the preaching of the Word of God from the Book of Romans, we are beginning our study in the Book of Romans, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to go through it. How long is it going to take? I don't know, but God does. So we're going to see uh, what, what the Lord does through our study in the Book of Romans. And then we also have a, uh, a great Thanksgiving feast that we're going to celebrate as a church family today. And uh, we also have uh, today's prayer uh, as a congregation. Uh, and we also have a baptism. So a dear brother of ours uh, that has uh, recently started to join us here, uh, Brother Oscar, is going to be uh, getting baptized today as his public testimony uh, as a follower of Christ. So a lot to look forward to today. Uh, if you are able to stand, let us please stand for the reading of God's word as we turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. The infallible word of God reads as follows. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning to learn from your word, to learn about who this Paul is, Saul of Tarsus, who you mightily use to write not only the book of Romans, but a great part of the New Testament. Who is this person, Lord? May we understand this morning, and may understanding who Paul is lead us to know who Jesus is. First and foremost, we ask that you work in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts as we begin this study. We ask this now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. So I've titled today's sermon, Greetings from Paul, Writing to the Church at Rome. Paul typically includes a greeting, or what is often referred to as a salutation, in his epistles, in his letters. The book of Romans happens to be the longest of his salutations, which encompasses seven verses. As this longer than usual introduction to, uh, to his epistle, to his letter to the Romans, uh, we learn that Paul actually has not gone to Rome at this point. So he's writing a bit of a longer salutation to the people at Rome, to establish who he is, to establish his authority. On whose authority is he writing this letter? On whose authority is he going to give this teaching, this doctrine to the Romans? Who is he? Why should they listen to him? Paul is identified, as we read in the book of Acts, as Saul of Tarsus. So who is this Paul? We see in the Gospels that Jesus often called fishermen to himself, men who perhaps did not have a formal or high education. In the case of Paul or Saul of Tarsus, this is different. Saul of Tarsus was highly educated, very likely from a wealthy family. Let us look at Acts 22, verse 3, which I have here in the notes. When Paul is giving an account of who he is, he says the following. Paul says, 
I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. So here Paul is attesting to the fact that he's not just an average Joe from the street. In order for him to gain credibility, now that he's boasting on it, because that was post his conversion when he uh, quoted those words. But this is more for him to identify with the people that he's speaking to. Gamaliel, we read in Acts 5 that he is, he's identified as a teacher of the law held in high honor by all people. So this teacher that Paul studied under was seen as perhaps one of the most prominent rabbis of that time, one of the, one of the most prominent Jewish teachers. So by and large, by Paul giving his credentials, it would be like someone today being highly educated in an Ivy League school in the subject that they are proclaiming to know, right? So Paul was an expert Pharisee in the law, in the Old Testament, and he's basically given his credentials. He was a scholarly um, teacher. He knew what he was talking about when it came to speaking about uh, the Old Testament. He's also described as a Hebrews, Hebrew of Hebrews. In Acts 23, 6, Paul self-identifies as a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. And essentially, Paul is basically saying that if there was one to be an example to Jewish Pharisees, he says, I am the one. It, it doesn't get better than, than me. But he does it again, not to boast, but with a purpose to later attest to the fact that all that is basically meaningless if he doesn't know Christ. We see that in Philippians 3, from the half of verse 4 through verse 6. This is when Paul is saying that if there was anyone to be a Pharisee, he says, I'm it. He says the following. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So this is who Paul, before being converted, was known for. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. When Jesus encountered this Saul of Tarsus, however, on the road to Damascus, a complete change occurred. God humbled this self-righteous Pharisee and showed him that he was going to use him for his glory. Paul would then not be an enemy anymore of Jesus, but a defender of the cross of Jesus Christ. All that scholarly knowledge that Saul of Tarsus had, all that intellect, all that education, all that memory of the Old Testament that perhaps he had memorized, was now going to be used in the right context so that he can see how Jesus is taught in the Old Testament and therefore expand the gospel. God was going to turn what Paul boasted of, was going to turn that to use it for good. And in doing so, God used Paul to write a large portion of the New Testament. 
God redeemed the otherwise self-righteous, talented, intellectual Jewish guy as Paul was in order to use him for his glory. So I think we have an immediate application here. Do you know that God has given us talents, has given you special abilities? And that with those talents, you are called to serve God, to glorify God, to worship God with those talents. Now, someone could easily say, well, I mean, I'm not Paul. I'm not highly educated and I don't have anything to offer, really. My friends, wrong. Whatever it is you're doing, your studies, your employment, your business, that is one way in which you can glorify God through it. Because we are called to be witnesses for Christ in everything that we do. And sometimes we could be using those talents and those ambitions with the wrong motives in order to chase after a cause that is not Christ. Just as Paul was doing with all his knowledge that he had. But whatever we do, let's remember that we are called to be witnesses for Christ. Whatever it is that we do. The other more obvious application is obviously to use your talents to serve the church, to serve God, to serve the family of God. That could be uh, if you have a, a musical talent, if you are gifted in art, if you are gifted in cooking, if you are gifted in organizing and keeping accounts, whatever it may be. The more direct application would be for you to use those talents to the glory of God in serving his people. We're reminded of that in Colossians 3.17, which says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right? So, again, whatever we do, we are to do it to the glory of God, to serve him. And as we do so, to give thanks. That's, again, a great theme of this week in Thanksgiving. So we get then a glimpse of who Saul of Tarsus or Paul was. He identifies himself in addressing this letter to the church that was at Rome. Now, what is the occasion and the date of the writing of this letter? Again, Paul had not been to Rome. So it's conjectured that he likely wrote this letter when he was in Corinth, right around 57 AD. And the book of Romans it's used by Paul to instruct the church in Rome. And ultimately, God uses that now to instruct us, right? To edify us, to teach us. This instruction is thought of perhaps the fullest extent of the theology that Paul expanded upon, even in his other epistles. The book of Romans basically covers everything that one needs to know about Scripture, about Jesus, about salvation, about what that is and about what that not is, right? So we see that here in the book of Romans. And we see then how can God, being a holy God, be 100% just, loving, while at the same time showing mercy to sinners? How could that be? The book of Romans will show us that. Now, specifically, it seems that Paul's addressing here to the Romans was that the church there at Rome was comprised of both Jewish 
and Greeks. That means the Jewish and the Gentile. We, we're going to see that a little bit later in verse 16, in which Paul is proclaiming that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to save those who believe. It says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, right? to us, the Gentiles. So the church there in Rome had a mixture of both the Jewish people that were being converted to Christians and also the Gentiles that initially were seen as those that were far apart, never able to be reached by God. So they now come together as Christians. And Paul answers a lot of questions that they have in that church. I'll give you a quick summary of what some of those questions are. And I'll give you the short answer. For instance, can one be made right with God through keeping good rules? The answer is no. And we'll see that. And then is Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, is he the father of the Jews only? Or can us, dirty Gentiles, also be grafted in? The answer is yes, we can be grafted in. And ultimately, we are the true Israel. And then, how are people saved? And saved from what? Well, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we are saved from the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God. And again, we're going to elaborate on each of those as we go through the book of Romans. A uh, couple more questions. Uh, what is the role of civil government? And are there boundaries to the roles of civil government? And who is over that civil government? Quick answer. Jesus is Lord over that government. And that government does have limited extension of their powers. I'll do one more. Uh, are there Christian liberties and restrictions according to the way that we live our daily lives? Yes, there are restrictions. And yes, we should be conscious of some of the brothers and sisters that may be weaker than we are. So some of those issues were prevalent in the church at Rome. And if we start thinking about those things, they're prevalent right now, right? All these questions are questions that we have. How do we deal with those? Now, a quick word about the style of this epistle, the genre. What, what, is, what is the style that Paul writes? Well, this is an epistle. This is a letter, right? This is a formal letter written to a church. And the specific literary style that Paul is using here in addressing the Romans is described by many scholars as a diatribe. Now, this is not the negative context that we typically uh, know that word for, diatribe. Like somebody went an unhinged diatribe, right? No, that's not what we mean. That's like speaking harshly, uh, critically uh, accusing someone. That's not what we mean. But in the literary style, a diatribe is defined as follows. It is an oration in which the speaker seeks to persuade an audience even by assuming that there's going to be someone debating him or questioning him. And now we can start to see that the way Paul wrote the book of Romans isn't exactly that fashion. He is instructing, he is teaching as he's writing, and he asks many rhetorical questions as the book goes on in order to teach, right? So that's the literary style. We just came from uh, reading and studying the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, right? That was very different. That was poetic. That was lament, right? Now, 
in the book of Romans, let's shift gears. Now we're, we're being taught, right? Think of us sitting under the teaching of Paul as he writes this letter to the book of Romans. Okay. So now we've seen how Paul identifies himself with what authority. Now we're going to see what that entails. What does he mean when he says that he is three things? He says he is a servant of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says he's an apostle. He's called to be an apostle. And then he's said to be set apart. Those three things. What does each of those things mean? So first, let us look at what it means when Paul says he is a servant of Christ. The first part of that verse there reads, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. The word servant there, doulos, which means a slave. And in that context, one of the biblical definitions of it is a person who is legally owned by someone else and whose entire livelihood and purpose was determined by their master. So Paul is saying, that's me. And I belong, not to myself, but I belong to Jesus. Now, the biblical concept of somebody being a servant of Christ, someone belonging to Jesus, is that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Christ in body and in spirit. And not everyone belongs to Christ. Okay, So how does that look like? First, let us look that we belong to Jesus in body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 reads as follows. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Right? As Paul claiming that he doesn't belong to himself, he's a, a doulos, a, a slave of Christ. He implies that Jesus owns him in body. Now, also, as someone who is owned by Jesus, we're not only owned by Christ in body, but also in mind, thought, and spirit. How does that look like? Let us take a look at 1 Corinthians 2, the first part of verse 14, and the second part of verse 15. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. See, the things of God are foolishness. To those that don't have the mind of Christ. But then Paul later says there. But we have the mind of Christ. Okay, So we are owned by Christ. Not only by body. But by mind. By spirit. And then how does one know. Whether we are or not. Christ. How do we know? We're going to see later in Romans 8 verse 9. Which we'll pull up now. It says. You however. Are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of god dwells in you anyone who does not have the spirit of christ does not belong to him see if we don't have the spirit of christ in us if we have not been born again of the spirit if our mind our heart our thoughts our habits have not changed my friends we do not have the spirit of christ in us and therefore we do not belong to christ not only that but it doesn't even bother us we're, we're totally fine. Now, if the Spirit is convicting us that we are in the wrong and that we need to turn to Jesus, that's a good sign. Because that means that we are being called. Now, Paul also mentions that by being a doulos, a slave, that his purpose in this life is not determined by him, but is determined by Jesus. 
We see that briefly in 1 Corinthians 9, 14. The second part of it where he says, Woe to me, says Paul, if I do not preach the gospel. That's his entire purpose for being. To preach the gospel of Jesus. His purpose was no longer to be a zealot, passionate Pharisee in order to keep up with the regulations and to be seen as the model Pharisee. But now he had renounced all that and he's renounced his ownership to self and now says, I belong to Jesus in mind, in spirit, and in purpose. And whatever I do is going to be determined by Christ. That's what Paul is telling us now. So as we see that then, identifying what Paul is saying as a slave of Christ, that's what it means to be a slave of Christ. The question for us today is, what am I a slave of? What are you a slave of or a servant of? Because trust me, we all serve something or someone. We see here the declaration of Paul that he is serving and belonging to Jesus. Who do we belong to? Would there be enough evidence to convict us of being doulos of Christ, to being servants, to being slaves of Christ? If someone came and searched through our mind and the archives of our hearts, would there be enough evidence to convict us of us being followers of Christ, of us being slaves of Christ, not only in word, but in deed? So this, my friends, will be a great time to take inventory of our lives, of the purpose of our lives, what drives us, what motivates us, to see who are we serving and to really evaluate ourselves, our own lives. Because remember, Jesus himself said, you cannot, you cannot serve two masters, for you either will love one and hate the other. Right? He says no one can serve two masters. And that context was, either loving God or loving money. He says you can't love both. Right? You can't have money, there's nothing wrong with being rich or having a well-to-do, um, you know, wealth. But if you love the wealth, then Christ says, you, you cannot be my disciple. You don't love me. And we can fill in the blank, right? What is it that we are serving? It's a great time for us to think about that as we read through the book of Romans. <clears throat> now, Paul makes it clear. That he's a servant, a doulos of Jesus. And then he says that he's called to be an apostle. So let's take a look at that next. An apostle. <clears throat> Here the word kletos means when somebody's called, right? Let's look at that word first, called. What does that mean, kletos? When your participation or your presence has been required... And there is no room for you to object to that. Okay. So I've been in situations at, at my job. I, I have a corporate job, right? I, I work at a company. And as I'm working, getting ready for a very important meeting, my boss's boss's boss tells me that he needs to see me. I'm going to stop what I'm doing in preparation of that very important meeting. And I'm going to see that boss. I don't have an option. Right. That's the context in which Paul says he is called to be an apostle. He doesn't have an option in the matter. He's going. He's going to do it. Okay. He's called. Kletos. And let us think about that. Did Saul of Tarsus volunteer to be a Christian? 
when he was on the road to Damascus, was he crying out after Jesus to seek after him and love him and serve him? Is that what he was doing? No, he was doing the opposite, right? On the road to Damascus, he hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He had obtained permission to go and take those Christians to jail and perhaps even persecute them and kill them. That's who Paul was. And as he was on his way to do that, God called him and said he was going to show him what he was going to suffer for his sake. It was going to appoint him an apostle to the Gentiles. So then, my friends, do you know that today, if you are a Christian, do you know that you had in no way been able to volunteer to be a Christian? That wasn't your call. That was not of your doing. Rather, God called you to be a follower of his. That's what we call the effectual call. And it's the only way that makes sense that someone who is spiritually dead will be made alive. By the words of Jesus saying, rise, live. That light is turned on in our minds so that we can see who Christ is. So that we could see the holiness of God. So that we can see the sinfulness of our nature in our lives and go after God when he calls us. So that's why when Jesus saves someone, it doesn't matter if your family opposes, your spouse is against it, your parents think you're crazy, your friends disown you, it don't matter. Jesus calls you, you're going. Yelling, kicking, screaming, it doesn't matter, you're going. When someone is called, you don't have a, you don't have a saying in the matter. You're not running. There's not getting away from God. You're coming. The effectual call of God. It's something that we also refer to as irresistible grace. When God calls you out of his grace, out of his mercy, you can't refuse. And this too, we shall be learning in the book of Romans as we go through it. So Paul was called. Now he was called to do what? Not just a Christian, but in the special case of Paul, he was called to be an apostle. Apostolos. That simply means one who is sent out with a particular message. One who is sent out, an apostle. Now, Paul was not one of the original 12, but he was later designated by Christ himself to be an apostle. Which brings an interesting question. What does it mean to be an apostle? Are there any qualifications to be met in order to be declared an apostle? Well, the first one, we kind of talked about it, one needs to be called to be an apostle. Either by Jesus himself or by the apostles that were following Christ at that time. Jesus personally calls his apostles. In Acts chapter 1, when they were deciding who was going to replace Judas, Peter speaks of the necessity of someone who had been with Christ from the beginning. So either Jesus calls them personally or... The apostles of Jesus call them. And as they are guided by the Holy Spirit, they selected an apostle. Secondly, we see that the apostles in Scripture have all seen the risen Christ. In defending his position as an apostle, in 1 Corinthians 9.1, Paul says the following. He asks, 
a couple of rhetorical questions. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? See, so they're attesting to the fact that Jesus has appeared to him physically and attested that he was called by Jesus himself. So then just as a side note, are there modern apostles today? Right? As I give this answer, it wouldn't be too far-fetched to say that our YouTube channel will be canceled soon because we're offending people, right? Well, it depends what someone means, right? Are there modern apostles today? If someone means that they have a calling of God in order to be sent out with the message of the gospel, then the answer is yes. In that sense, we would have modern-day apostles. However, let it be said that those who identify today with the title of apostle, that's not what they mean. Those that self-identify as apostles today take it to mean, in some sense, that they have divine authority and divine revelation just how the apostles of the New Testament had of the time of Paul, the time of Jesus. So the question is, have they seen the risen Christ? Were they called personally by Jesus as the apostles that we just uh, saw were? The answer is no. So by that standard, there cannot be any modern apostles. And in studying some of the modern day apostles, there's a common denominator. They have a false Christ and therefore they have a false gospel. It boils down to works-based salvation. You want to be right with God? Then here's, here's a long list of things you got to do, which not even themselves can meet. So my advice to that in this small side note, in that sense, no, there is no modern-day apostles. And if you are lured or interested in seeing them or seeing what they teach, be very careful. And I would say flee from them. You have nothing to learn from them other than heresy and false teaching. They have a false Christ. They have a false gospel. So Paul was an apostle. He was called to be an apostle. He had no say in the matter. Thirdly, Paul identifies himself as one who is set apart as a saint for the gospel of God. Paul claims he has been set apart. Now, set apart here is not exactly the same word for saint, hagels, but it's very similar, which means to be set apart, to be selected, and assigned a very specific purpose. And in concept, it is the same meaning of one who is set apart. Many times we hear, oh, you know, like that person, they're such a great person, like they're a saint. Now, what do we mean by that? That we have a high regard for them, right? Now, what does that mean in the biblical sense? My friends, a saint, according to scripture, is someone who has been born again of the Holy Spirit of God. Someone who calls Jesus their Lord and Savior. It is not someone who has been canonized and is now venerated in worship. That is not a saint, biblically speaking, right? So, my friend, if you are a born-again believer that trusts in Christ today, you are a saint, 
keep track of that as we go through the book of Romans because the book of Romans is addressed to the saints that live in Rome. Okay? Let us think about that. So then he will sit apart. For what purpose? It says, for the gospel of God, to proclaim the good news, right? To warn those of the righteous wrath of the condemnation that is coming for those that are not in Christ. For the gospel of God. To warn people that they need to repent to trust in Christ by grace through faith, not through works, right? Paul was set apart in order to preach and elaborate on that purpose. So he was set apart by God, called to be an apostle, specifically to preach the gospel. Now, was Paul picked? Was Paul called because of how good he was? Remember, when God called him, he was on his way to kill Christians. So my friends, Paul was the worst candidate for God to call and use for his glory. And that should remind us, if there was hope for someone who was self-righteous, hated Jesus, hated Christians, then there's hope for us. right? Because there was nothing in Paul, his self-righteousness, his puffed up knowledge, that would have qualified him, humanly speaking, to serve King Jesus. And Jesus said, ah, that's who I want. And in calling him, he had no say. He was going to obey. Let us look at Philippians 3.7. It says, now when Paul, the context of this quote is now that Paul has been born again. He is an apostle. He is a Christian. He is preaching the gospel. Now he looks back to what he was before. This is what Paul says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See the difference? My friends, do you think you will be used of God because you have so much goodness, because you, th you have such good intellect, such good talents. If we are anywhere near that mindset, Paul is inviting us to count all that literally as a pile of crap. That's the word that is used there. And trade that for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus as Savior. So that then we could be a servant, so that we could be assured of the calling that we have as Christians to serve Christ and his gospel. So then that leaves us with this question. My friends, are you a servant of Christ today? Have you been called of God to serve him? If you have, are you serving him? Or are there areas that perhaps we need to reprioritize so that we can serve God? with our mind, with, with our bodies, with our talents, with our resources. And perhaps you're here today, you say, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm a servant of Christ. I'm not sure if I'm called. And I would say that's fair. That, that's an okay place to be. But it is today that God is calling you, again, to take inventory of your mind, of your heart, of your desires, of your priorities, 
and to really to realize that this life is a vapor and is going to be gone quicker than you realize. And therefore, it's an invitation, a reminder for us to repent of our sin, of our unbelief. Perhaps repent of our religiosity. Paul was a very religious man, right? The equivalent of today would be someone who says, hey, I go to church every Sunday. I, I even go to midweek Bible study. I'm very religious. Maybe we need to repent of our religiosity and become a true humble servant of Christ for the sake of his gospel. So then we've seen Paul as a servant of Jesus, as someone who's called to be an apostle, and one who was a saint set apart for the purposes of the gospel of God. Next week, we're going to continue in the salutation that Paul gives. Hopefully we'll cover more than just one verse like we did today, but I make no promises. So let us uh, think about these things, my friends, of who is writing this letter. Paul, he has authority. Why? Because he was called, not because he was this great person. And in that, we realize, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not this magnificent theologian like Paul was. However, God has gifted you. And God is going to require an account of your life, of your talents, of your resources, of your priorities. To see if you indeed know him. And to see if you're serving him. And in that is where we will find fulfillment of our minds, of our hearts, and of our souls. Rather than turning to any other thing other than Christ. That will not sustain us. It will not fulfill us. Let us reflect on that as we go away today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. For you are a great and good God. May your Holy Spirit minister to our minds, to our hearts, that we may understand what it means to be called of God. And that if God is calling us today, that our hearts may not be hardened. And as we are, we would serve him. That we would serve him with our time, with our resources, with our talents. And that we would serve the church of God and those who, that are outside so that they may also become part of the sheepfold of God. Lord Jesus, be with us today as we proceed to this wonderful um, fellowship in this local church, which is your church. And as we have the joy of observing the ordinance of baptism today, Lord, with our dear brother. Speak to us today, Lord. May we go here renewed. May we know that we have joy in knowing the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it is in his name, in the name of Jesus, that we ask these things. Amen.